Welcome to the 38th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and discuss the first round of the 2021 NFL Draft. So let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, specifically a look at this week's standings on a division-by-division basis, starting with the National League West. Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to act surprised anymore about the Giants being in second place. Uh, uh, oh, oh, wait, they're in first place now. Oh, and actually, I'm not, I don't think I checked this, but I think they actually have the best record in baseball, heading into today at least. Um, 16-9, and nine, okay, let's be fair though, the Dodgers are 16-10 and 10 right behind them. It's not like the Giants have a massive lead over over the second place team. But I would say I'm very surprised that they're not in third at this point. Um, I thought San Diego would be, obviously everybody thought LA and San Diego would be uh, far ahead of San Francisco. So it is a little bit surprising that, they're, that they've been able to keep this position. But um, I think for now they'll take their 16-9. and nine. Uh, They have a series against the Dodgers starting on May 21st. These teams don't actually play each other for a while, unlike the Padres and the Dodgers who played each other seven out of nine games and what, the first 20? Um, so that was, uh, th- th- the Dodgers and Padres have kind of beaten up on each other a little bit, so you could say that maybe is why their record is like that, although I've mentioned before that San Francisco did win a series against San Diego, but we'll have to see what happens when the Giants play the Dodgers. Uh, Bellinger's still out. Uh, Dodgers started 13-2, and now 3-8 and in their last 11, um, and it looks like the injuries are actually catching up with them rather than maintaining this decent level with everybody out and then playing really really well with everybody in now it seems they're playing pretty badly with everybody out um and there's been I I mean we're talking about Bellinger in the lineup but I think there's six or seven bullpen pitchers who were supposed to be on the opening day roster that aren't active I think Kenley Jansen might be the only guy who was assured a bullpen spot heading into the year that's actually healthy right now uh so that's an interesting problem that the Dodgers have to deal with. Uh, the Padres have a lot of issues with their starting pitching injury-wise, and uh, now they've had Tatis back. He's getting back to his normal form, too, after kind of a slow start. His average was hanging around in the 100s for a while. But look, credit to San Francisco for standing on top of the division, and Arizona actually is only a half game back uh, of San Diego. Everybody knows that Madison Bumgarner threw a seven-inning no-hitter, and they actually went Two games of a doubleheader, only allowing one total hit, which is pretty crazy. Um, but other than that, you know, Arizona's had a pretty decent year. Uh, they're, I'd say they're outperforming ex- expectations being above 500 at this point. So maybe the NOS isn't as weak as we thought beyond the Padres and the Dodgers at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, you've touched on the big themes there. In addition to the Padres and Dodgers beating up on each other, it's a uh... Four to, I think they played seven games. Padres yep. won four. Dodgers won three. Yep. The rubber game of the seven-game series, its opening series, went to extra innings. Um, both teams, I think, have really struggled. They've had the, they've talked about the hangover after playing each other. They've really struggled in the series following the two times they played each other. Um, well, I mean, the Dodgers split a series against the Mariners. That's not too big of a deal. But that, but the Padres did get swept by the Brewers right after and, playing the Dodgers. So they're the, definitely dealing with that. And then this time the Dodgers lost And now they lost, lost a series to the, the Diamondbacks. And now and the, the Dodgers, Dodgers lost a series to the Reds. <laughs> yeah. Right afterwards. And the Dodgers to split that game against the Mariners, I think, won a one nothing game yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was. Dodgers it was. have also lost, a, I think, three extra inning games, uh, this modified extra innings rule. But 
the injuries, like you said, of the Dodgers starting lineup, they don't have the versatility or the power that you've talked about. And I think the, the I think the most important thing is what we saw in the playoffs was the Dodgers' ability to turn the lineup over, and yep. no matter who was up. Um, somebody would be able to get, at least get a hit, get a walk, They've move got, somebody over or something. No but I, I think, I think, well, not even just there were no holes, but I think the other part is you pair the injuries with the fact that Mookie Betts has actually been in a slump and is not hitting as well as he normally does. And Corey Seager also was great at the beginning of the year, but has had a huge slump. And you really only have Justin Turner as the as the uh, significant, consistent contributor right now in the lineup, which is uh, something that's a little, that, that's going to affect them a little bit. I mean, look, part of this is people like Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson leaving, but I mean, again, they were kind of platooning, so I don't, I don't really blame them for leaving. Um, but I, I think part of, if you have that versatility in your lineup, you know, you get Chris Taylor injured for a game or two. Okay. Jock Peterson comes in. You got a solid backup right there. Who's going to come in and still contribute. But instead, now you have minor league guys like Luke Rayleigh that are playing instead, and that's going to affect you negatively. I, I don't think there's any debating that. Yeah, and also the, the ripple effect is if you have if you don't have those players coming off the bench or behind you in the lineup, then the guys who are in the lineup aren't going to see his quality of pitches. So it has a whole ripple effect. Muncy's been struggling too. Um, although he's to, although he's been taking uh, we, I don't even have words to describe the amount of walks that he's taken this season but a lot of walks and, and we won't get into the impact of the terrible umpiring that we've mentioned before <laughs> that we're gonna we're gonna get back to that later in the season um, all right any other thoughts on the National League West before we move nope. to the NL Central all right well what do you think about the NL Central uh, I think you look at this and it's kind of interesting I, I, I listed out what it what the standings looked like last week and this week so that I could read them off and note that Literally every single team has changed positions except for the Brewers. Um, last week, the Brewers were 11-8 and coming off that sweep against the Padres. The Cubs were 10-9 and in second place. The Reds were in third at 9-9. Nine and nine, And the Pirates were in fourth at 9-10. and 10, And the Cardinals were in last at 8-10. and 10. Now this week, the Brewers are still on top at 15-10 and 10 in the middle of a series with the Dodgers right now. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe another team takes the lead by the start of next week if the Dodgers kind of round back into form. Uh... But the Cardinals have gone from last to second. They're now 13 and 12. The Pirates are 12 and 12. They moved up a spot. The Reds are 11 and 13. They moved down a spot. And the Cubs are 11 and 14, meaning that they went all the way from second to last. They swapped with the Cardinals. The Pirates swapped with the Reds. Uh, crazy division. I don't really know what's going on. As I said before, all of these teams could actually stay on this on this pace of how many wins they're going to get. And I wouldn't be very surprised. The division winner here could have only. 87-ish wins. It's very, very possible. It's a hotly contested division, although I think the Brewers are playing well enough and have a good enough roster to probably surpass 90-95 wins, but if the Cardinals get hot and maybe play really well specifically against the Brewers, you might see that, you might see that number crawling down for the Brewers, but I think this division is going to be a great race to watch all year. Yeah, definitely a, a topsy-turvy division, and like most divisions, it's probably going to be decided amongst head-to-head play uh, at the end of the year in, in September when each team, all the teams are playing each other. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch throughout the course of the year, but hey, that's what makes baseball interesting. Uh, anything else about the NL Central? Nope. All right, let's move to the last division in the National League, the National League East. Yeah, this division is just as hotly contested as the other one, and this was supposed to be the best division in baseball going into the year. Although the NL West has four teams above 500, and this, t- in this division has zero. Um, 
the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets are all tied for first at one game under 500. The Phillies and Braves are both 12 and 13. The Mets are 9 and 10. The Marlins are 11 and 13, so not too far behind. And the Nationals are 9 and 12. Uh, they really haven't recla- reclaimed any good form since their since their World Series title. When you look back at it, uh, maybe having that COVID thing kind of the whole shortened season might have affected that a little bit. When you have to deal with not um, not having really any chance to celebrate your title and everything just feels a little bit bad. Maybe they felt a little bit of a letdown and that kind of affected them. Uh, who knows? But so far, the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets are the three teams I would say most people expected to be on top of this contested division. Uh, and I don't really know who's going to come out on top at this point. And the real question is, uh, is DeGrom going to get any run support in any of his starts? Any eh, probably not. Pretty insane. Seems to just be one of those things that happens in sports a lot where there's no explanation for a phenomenon and yet it continues. Um, and DeGrom not getting run support no matter how good the team is. I think even if a team averaged, even if a Mets team averaged 12 runs per game, he would still not get any run support. So and he'd probably it's be just... Unde- he'd be undefeated if they could get him two runs a game. Yeah, that's true. And it's just kind of one of those things. It's just a very odd sports thing. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move over to the American League and start in the West again with the AL West. Uh, you have the A's at the top at 16 and 10, the Mariners at 14 and 12 in second, the Angels uh, 12 and 11 in third, the Astros 13 and 12 in fourth, and the Rangers 11 and 15 in last. That's actually pretty similar to the NL West uh, record-wise. Um, Overall, this division has been really weird. A lot of teams going, I mean, the Angels had a great hot start. The A's sucked at the beginning of the season, and then the A's ran off 13 wins in a row, and then the Angels dipped below 500, and then the Astros were also had a great start. They were, I think, 6-2 and two to start the season. Then they went below 500. Now they're barely above, same as the Angels. The Mariners somehow came out really, really hot, and they've Fallen off a little bit uh, since then and are now 14-12, and 12, which is still very respectable, and they're still outperforming their expectations. But it, it's not necessarily, I don't think, what they would have wanted. Uh, and then the Rangers are doing exactly what we thought they would kind of be, a pretty weak team in a pretty strong division. All right, move over to the American League Central. You have the Royals at the top at 15-8, and eight, the White Sox at 14-10 and 10 in second, the Indians at third with an 11-12 and 12 record, the Twins are eight and fifteen, wow. uh, and the Tigers are eight and eighteen. Tigers have the worst record in baseball, and it's not close outside of their division. It's close in their division, but it's not close outside of it. The Twins have been kind of affected by a few COVID pauses. I know they've had some rain postponements too. They've had a lot of. I've seen a lot of doubleheaders on their schedule. I'll say that. I don't think I know really the, spe- the specific circumstances, but. There's been a lot of doubleheaders that I see on their schedule uh, pretty much all the time when I look at it. Um, I don't know what's going wrong with them, to be quite honest. I haven't paid enough attention, if I'm going to be completely transparent, but I I think their problems... I mean, I've watched a few of their games, but I don't think they have really a specific problem. I just think that overall they've kind of not played their best and you know, had some of those games that you could have won if you made a few more plays and you didn't, and they just haven't been making any of those plays. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Maybe they pull it together soon. Who knows? Uh, the Royals still surprising at the top of that division. However, the White Sox are right on their tail, and it looks like they might get to first place soon. Yeah, unlike the Twins, uh, who everybody thought the White Sox might be battling it out with, 
who've been two and eight. The White Sox are eight and two in their last ten, so really making a strong push lately. Um, anything else on the AL Central? Nope. All right. Last but not least, or maybe least, it's the AL <laughs> least or the AL East. Eh, not least. Don't don't do that to them. Um, the Red Sox. Well, the Yankees then. <laughs> well, <laughs> the Red Sox are sixteen and ten at the top of this division. Uh, they have the same record as the Dodgers. If I had told you that two years ago, you would have said, okay, that makes sense. They just beat them in the World Series. Of course they have the same record. But if I had also told you that David Price and Mookie Betts would be on the Dodgers, uh, and Kike Hernandez and Alex Verdugo would be on the Red Sox, then maybe you'd say, well, that's a little confusing. How'd they end up with the same record? Well, the story's a little convoluted. The story's a little crazy, but... Uh, it's been an odd road to 16 and 10. Um, they've been ridiculous when they get any run support whatsoever, actually. I think the stat is they're something like 11 and 0 on the season when they get at least four runs, or it's either that or when their pitching staff allows less than four runs. So overall, they've been a pretty strong team. They win every game that's that should be in a close margin for run scoring an average amount of runs on either side. Um, so the Red Sox are doing what they need to do to stay at the top of the division. I'm, I'm actually starting to backtrack on what I said last week where I thought they'd start playing the harder opponents and it, and it would get to them and they might start losing some of those games. I actually don't think they will. I think they can easily start beating some of these teams in those series. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that in the rest of the season. Um, in second place, you have the Rays at 13-3. and three. I mean, 13-13-3. 13-13. and 13. Uh, The Blue Jays are 11-12 and 12 in third. And tied in last is the Yankees and the Orioles at 11 and 14. Not surprised that the Orioles are there. Very, very surprised that the Yankees are there. Uh, and the Blue Jays and the Rays are a little bit under where we thought they'd be. Uh, maybe you could say not entirely worse, but definitely un- uh, underperforming a little bit. But n- not too much that you have to be worried about it. It's I, I think it'll even out over the course of the season. So... We'll, we'll we'll figure out what happens in the AL East later, honestly. This is a division that's very hard to comment on to begin this season. They're all kind of in a weird cluster where it feels like the Red Sox are way ahead, but in reality, they're not really ahead by that much. Um, and we'll, again, we'll just have to kind of see what happens when the Red Sox play the Blue Jays and the Rays, and even the Yankees, because even if the Yankees or even if one of the two teams is bad, that's still a great rivalry, and those teams like to get up and play hard against each other. Uh, and by the way, the Yankees are not bad. They just have been... Severely underperforming this year. so And that's the great thing about baseball. It's not a, a sprint, it's a marathon, and it all tends to even itself out over the course of time. So Unless you only play 60 games. Well, yes. Last year it was definitely a sprint. This year it's back to being the marathon. All right, that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this week. Now let's move on to the 2021 NFL Draft, where Patrick will put every first-round pick into one of six categories and some picks into multiple categories. Let's start with obvious picks, Patrick. Uh, yeah, there's only one of these that... Uh, let me explain my breakdowns further. Uh, I put each of them into one main category that I felt best described the picks out of the six categories I had. Um, and then after that, I also put some of them that belong in multiple, but here are the categories. There are obvious picks. I have great picks that are not necessarily obvious. Uh, my third one is picks made to make a quarterback more comfortable or reuniting old teammates. Uh, questionable picks, a good trade and pick combo or a bad trade and pick combo, which spoiler alert basically has nobody in it, which is why I actually only said I have six categories because I have nobody in that category as a main thing. Uh, and then decent picks is my last one. So 
We're going to start with the obvious picks. Uh, I think it's obvious what the obvious pick is. It's Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville. Uh, don't think this needs any time spent on it. I think we all knew this was going to happen. Frankly, for people who follow the college landscape, probably for two and a half years. Um, and for people who follow the NFL, at least two and a half months. Uh, so that was the first pick in the draft. Very, 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 very obvious. Uh, if anything else happened... I would have called it a questionable and awful pick if the ja- if the Jaguars went with anybody that's that wasn't named Trevor Lawrence. Uh, now moving on to the great picks, I put Zach Wilson in here. Uh, I, you know, some people would say this pick was kind of obvious. I would say it was more people who are insiders and reporters who knew that that's who the Jets wanted to go with. But I don't necessarily think that everybody had a consensus on who the second best quarterback was behind Trevor Lawrence. I think a lot of people had Justin Fields there who ended up going as the fourth quarterback. Uh, Some people even had uh, Trey Lance. If you ask them, I don't think anybody really had Mac Jones as the second best quarterback. But the point is, this was not necessarily the most obvious pick. But I think think he'll be successful as long as they surround him with things that he needs. Um, Number four in the draft was Kyle Pitts, a tight end. He went to Atlanta. Uh, I also think... Yes, I also think that was a great pick to make a quarterback very, very comfortable. Look, if it was either draft Matt Ryan's, nobody really, I mean, insiders probably knew, but nobody in the general public knew what the Atlanta Falcons were going to do if they were going to draft Matt Ryan's future replacement in the first round to get a really quality one that he could learn behind, or if they were going to draft somebody in the second or third round to have him grow behind Matt Ryan for a few years, or if they were going to come up here and take one of the various weapons that were available, either at wide receiver or tight end, and again, they went with Kyle Pitts. I think this is a great pick. I actually think he's the most talented player in this draft outside of Trevor Lawrence. Um, His production was off the charts at Florida, and I think if you want to talk about why, how, how you know to pick somebody, let's just say he was in the Heisman conversation after missing half of a shortened season. That's all you need to know about how good Kyle Pitts is. Uh, the next great pick is actually all the way down at 13. Uh, and it's Rayshon Slater by uh, pick uh, of the Los Angeles Chargers offensive tackle. Look, the Chargers needed some linemen this offseason, and I think they got one um, that's really, really good. This is this is probably as good as you're going to do, and I really like this pick because, again, it fills a great team need, um, and I think the main thing that they have is they have Justin Herbert, who just won Rookie of the Year. They don't need a quarterback. They have Keenan Allen. They have other good receivers. That's not something they were going to go with. This was going to be somebody who's either an offensive tackler or somebody to maybe help on the defensive end. But I think their offensive line was a really big, a really big need that they needed to upgrade. So again, Rayshon Slater, great pick by them. Now we're getting into some late, late first round picks that I just have a personal opinion on that I think will pan out well. The first one is Quiddy Pay, a defensive end for Michigan uh, that went to Indianapolis. He is a very, very raw talent. I will not dispute that. The production was not necessarily there last year. Uh, had some injuries bringing him down a little bit too, but if the Colts want to make this pick worthwhile, they need to develop him. It is on the onus is on them. Uh, if they do develop him, though, he is going to be a great pick at twenty one. And at twenty one, that is also a pretty good value because I think if he had had a more productive year last year, he might have even been climbing up 
uh, maybe into the top 15 kind of a situation, maybe even into the top 10. I know he was slated at maybe 15th, like going into the year, and then, you know, kind of dropped after a little bit of a lack of production. But I think Quiddy can be a great player in the NFL if you can draft that, if you can draft those talents better. And it seems like they saw through that lack of production. Obviously, they're the experts. They realized that yes. when Hutchinson got hurt, he was the only pass rush threat Michigan had. And uh, no coincidence that after that first game, his production dropped off when other teams probably just keep Right, and who who even knows how, how much those teams pay attention to that as yep. opposed to just straight-up measurables and what they like and what they need. Um, although the Colts have... have almost had every solution to everything on defense except for a pass rush, so we knew that's what they were going to try to do. Uh, at 22, I really like the pick of Caleb Farley at a, for Tennessee for the Tennessee Titans. He's a corner. Uh, the reason why I really liked it is because this team needs a corner, and they need a top-level corner. They already had an awful secondary, and they lost to Dory Jackson in the offseason, too. Um Caleb Farley has had two back surgeries, I believe now, and it's not that was one of those things that he was really supposed to go really, really early to compete with the Patrick Sertans of the world and J.C. Horn for a very high draft pick. But in the end, he ends up going at 22. But look, Tennessee really needed to take a risk on somebody. They're going to have to keep trying to do whatever they can to get good corners. I I would honestly, if they feel like they need to, I would draft eight corners with eight picks. Like, they really need defensive help, especially in the secondary. And so I really like that pick. And he sat out, he opted out of Virginia Tech season last year. So. Yes, and he also had another back surgery. So there, there's some there are some major concerns there. But but if you want to take a punt on the talent, that's a guy I would say is easily the guy to do it on. Uh, Greg Newsom, the second, another corner, went to Cleveland at 26. I thought this was another great pick. Not not too much to say about it. My, I uh, think really, the, one one thing one two of your great two of your picks and this is crazy. I don't know when the last time this happened. Northwestern players. Oh yeah, it never happened before. Slater. This is the first time that there's ever been two Northwestern players drafted in the first round. Correct. It's pretty yes. pretty amazing. Pretty I mean, amazing. but I mean, they came off a great season, so yeah. you would assume okay. that well, they sorry, had to have some talent. I, um, I just noted that, and uh, yeah. wanted, so okay, interesting. Uh, and then the twenty seventh pick. It, it almost seems like I'm just like talking about Big Ten people only, but trust me, I'm trying not to. Um, 27th pick, Rashad Bateman. This is exactly, exactly what Lamar Jackson needed. The Ravens needed a receiver. They tried with Marquise Brown to kind of fit in a shorter receiver, see if it could work. Uh, Marquise has had some really good seasons, so don't get me wrong about it. But the Ravens need a big receiver who's going to go up and get contested balls, get make good hard catches to make. Uh, and and be a good, frankly, just a good possession receiver, a good route runner. And I think that's exactly what Rashad Bateman he's been Bateman is. He's been very very productive at Minnesota, and I think you'll see him have an immediate impact. We will kind of have to see what 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 uh, what some of the other receivers do in the draft to see if they picked the exact right one. But I believe Bateman was the right pick, and I think he was even the third best receiver, and he got picked as the fourth or the fifth fifth. So. Or, sorry, the fourth best. Uh, but he got picked fifth. So, I mean, look, I really like that pick. Uh, I think it's the steal of the draft so far, especially because they got him so late in the first round. All right, let's move to your next category. Picks to made to make a QB comfortable or reuniting old teammates. All right, so the first two of these are very, very obvious. And although I'm classifying them as picks to make a quarterback comfortable, I also easily have these ones in great, great picks. Uh, Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell. 
uh, both wide receivers. Jamar Chase going to Cincinnati, where he's reunited with his teammate Joe Burrow, who lit uh, college football on fire and set basically every record you ever can um, on the way to a championship in an undefeated season. I don't think Cincinnati's going undefeated with that combo. The talent, talent level they're going to be facing is just a little bit better. Uh, and probably, frankly, even Cincinnati's offensive line is probably worse than the one LSU had a few years ago, if I'm going to be quite honest. Uh, then you have Jalen Waddle going back to Tua. So there's another one of those in combos Miami. in so Miami and another great pick there. Uh, you have Penny Sewell. Now this one is not because of reuniting old teammates. This is a great pick by Detroit to get a great offensive lineman and Jared Goff needs offensive lineman. He's not, he's not immobile, but he's not the most mobile. Yeah. He needs people to protect him. They need a good offensive line. Their, their offensive system's going to probably have to rely on a lot of play actions because that's what Jared is comfortable with. As I know as a Rams fan, trust me, I know it very well. He needs good offensive line. Yeah, this is a great pick really to do that. He really struggled when they had offensive line injuries. Yes, this is a great pick to do that. Now, 24, I'm going to go Najee Harris. And I think this was also another a really, really good pick at the end. Um, I'm not comparing him to Le'Veon Bell, but he has all the skills that Le'Veon Bell did coming out of college. Uh, kind of this really can do everything. He's a three-down running back that has power, speed, and agility. He has everything you can ask for in a running back. And Pittsburgh could not run the football last year at all. Um, I I think part of that can be attributed to their offensive line a little bit, but I think getting a running back was something that they needed to do. And you could say they maybe overstepped by picking one this early, but actually the next pick in the draft was another running back, which I'm going to get to in a second. So maybe they knew that that was in Jacksonville's mind and they didn't want to let their guy go. Najee Harris is going to be a great player. He's going to make an immediate impact. Uh, As I said, second player. uh, This one's reuniting old teammates, except for these guys have never been apart. Travis Etienne got picked with the 25th pick to Jacksonville, um, which means that Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne will be in the backfield again, uh, this time for Jacksonville as opposed to Clemson. So we'll just have to see how that one turns out. Uh, I Again, I'm typically not the biggest fan of taking running backs in the first round, but I think these two are talented enough well, that you, this is an exception to that. You pointed out, they're kind of like last year, um, they both these receivers who were picked in the first round have receiving, running backs picked in the first round have receiving ability. They're not pure running right. backs. Especially That's also true. Especially ATN is, is a very... Very much a Swiss Army knife. Yes, you have you have two very versatile backs. And I mean, look, Najee Harris, actually, I wouldn't say if you gave me his draft grade before last season would be graded as a good pass catcher. But he can do it. But over the season, and I think a lot of people highlighted this, he probably benefited the most out of any player in college from playing this season because he proved that he could be a good pass catcher. And really, I think he only had three touchdown receptions going into the season and then had three in in the uh, conference championship game alone against Florida, something like that. Uh, he really got so much better as the year went on, and it's crazy because he already had such an insane talent level. But Najee's a great talent. But I'm going to move on to the questionable picks. Look, not, I'm not saying these picks are bad. There's one of them that I think is actually very bad. Um, but most of them are just, I'm questioning why you pick them over other needs. And first, I'm going to go to Patrick Sertan. Uh, I love Patrick Sertan. I thought he was the best corner. I I did not expect J.C. Horn to get picked higher than him. But I don't get it from a Denver perspective. Uh, I don't don't think this was their biggest need as corner. I thought, frankly, 
when you had Justin Fields available here, I thought they were going to get Justin Fields. I thought either them or Carolina was going to get Justin Fields here. So I was a little bit confused as to why they picked Sertan, although there are some signs pointing to Denver maybe getting Aaron Rodgers and maybe John Elway's getting a little too hopeful there, thinking that they might get him and that's why they drafted Patrick Sertan. But Apparently the, the there was a story that the Broncos... So were so high on Patrick Sertain the second that they didn't. They instructed their scouts not to zoom with him, not to talk about him. They basically had no contact with him. So there was something going on there, and part of the speculation is their general manager was in Miami when his father was there and when Nick Saban was the coach. But they apparently were so high on him they didn't want to give anybody any signal that they had any interest in him. So clearly there was clearly there was something there with that organization. And that player picking him at number nine. You want to move to your next one? Sorry. Yeah, uh, Alex Leatherwood at 17. Now, I'm just going to straight up call out Las Vegas here. This is an awful pick. And it's not awful because of the player they picked. It's awful because of where they picked him. I talked about how Pittsburgh picked Najee Harris at 24 and another running back came off at 25. So if they had traded back at all, they would have lost out on the guy they wanted. Well... Alex Leatherwood was supposed to go in the early second round, maybe late first round at the very, very best. 60th overall rated player in the draft, according to ESPN. Right, which is why I think it it, it makes no sense to draft somebody like this at at 17. 17. I mean, you got the guy you want, but at the same time, I feel like they could have traded back. I mean, I'm going to talk about, going to talk about somebody who did do that soon. Um, a, A lot of teams that did that soon, but I think you could have traded back a few picks even into the second round and maybe even gotten a first rounder next year. I, I, maybe they don't want a first round pick next year, which I would get that too. But I feel like you could have traded all the way back to 30. You could have given Baltimore this pick and they could have used it on, on a receiver just to secure who they wanted. There are a lot of teams who could have traded up here and they would have accepted it. And I think that in in general, if you can get somebody later, you should trade back and get them. And there were a few teams that had that were great examples of doing that this year. Dallas was one of them. Uh, so I just don't understand why you pick him this high. Uh, the next one is Kadarius Tony at twenty. Kadarius Tony has is very very talented, but the Giants just have too many receivers. They they not only signed Kyle Rudolph, but they also signed Kenny Galladay in the offseason to add on to Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard. So you already have three good st- good level starting receivers, and I don't think that a rookie other than Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, or Devontae Smith are going to surpass them. Uh, so I-, I think it's a little I think it's a little odd that they decided to pick a wide receiver here. They maybe could have gotten some offensive line help, some defensive help. Who knows? Uh, I-, I just don't really get this pick. Too many wide receivers. Uh, Peyton Turner for New Orleans is another one where I feel like it just doesn't satisfy the team's needs. I feel like the defensive line was one of the things that the Saints were actually really good with last season. Uh, obviously, a, a strong playoff team, so it's not like they had many weaknesses. Although Drew Brees did retire, so one of their biggest strengths has has suddenly faded in the offseason. But I don't think the Saints have a problem with the D-line, so that was a little confusing. And then Eric Stokes, a corner, uh, that pick just... It didn't seem like it was in the right place. A lot of people had other people above Stokes, including his teammate Tyson Campbell... Um, from Georgia, so I didn't like that pick either. That's the 29th pick by the Packers. Yeah, I, I didn't like that pick either, especially because the Packers re-signed Kevin King even after he blew the whole playoffs for them. Um, if you're going to re-sign corners to one-year deals, it does not make any sense to draft one the very same year offseason uh, to fill the same role. So 
that that's all I have to say about the questionable ones. All right, and now your good trade slash pick combination category. Yeah, uh, these ones, some of these date back a while, but uh, I, I'm gonna the first one I got to go to, Devonte Smith to Philadelphia. Another reunion uh, pick, by the way, which I, I noted. This was also a reunion pick. I would say this one was an obvious pick, but I can't call it obvious because Philadelphia wasn't supposed to be picking 10th to begin with. Uh, and it was a really great pick. Anytime you can get a Heisman winner at number 10, I think that's a pretty a pretty good pick. Um, Devontae Smith, obviously the talent, just, the, the talent and the production is just off the charts. Uh, 11, the Bears finally did something right. Instead of trading up all the way at number two to pick the third best quarterback in a, in a draft, this time they drafted Justin Fields, the fourth best quarterback, at the fourth best quarterback spot at 11. I really like this because they didn't get too over-anxious thinking that Denver or Carolina might pick them, which honestly I thought they might myself. But I like that they did not overextend. They didn't move up too much, and they ended up at 11 still being able to get the quarterback that they want for the future. And this is a great pick, although, I, 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 as I mentioned, one of those things like Jacob DeGrom not getting run support, for some reason, Ohio State quarterbacks can never play in the NFL. So this is, another, this is an interesting thing to see if he can change the stigma around that. Uh, maybe that's even why he got drafted a little bit lower, but who knows. Um, number 12, I, I rated this one a good trade pick combo. This is Micah Parsons for Dallas. The reason why I rated this as a good pick is because Dallas was able to stockpile another pick and did not lose the person they wanted. They traded with the Eagles, which I think was odd, although I guess you don't have to avoid trading with teams against uh, that are in your division. I never really understood that, but I kind of understand it, but not really. It, rare, it rarely happens. But it does rarely happen, especially with the, with Those rivals teams, as yeah. fierce as these ones. Um, but this was a really good trade back because they just stockpiled an extra pick for free. They were not going to pick Devontae Smith. They were not going to pick Justin Fields. They got the same exact player they were going to get, and they added an extra pick. And the last one in the yeah, good... Well, even Stephen A. Smith praised the Cowboys for this one. <laughs> um, and another one in the good trade pick combo. I'm going to say Elijah Vera Tucker uh, with the 14th pick for the New York Jets because this guard, he's, an, he's a guard on the offensive line. The reason why you need this is, look, the Jets admitted to it. They think that their biggest pitfall of the Sam Darnold draft was that they did not do enough to protect him and they did not do enough to surround him with talent that was going to make him successful. This is an immediate statement that they're going to do the opposite for Zach Wilson. They're going to make sure he's protected. They're going to make sure he's supported. They're going to get him all the receivers. They're going to get him all the offensive linemen. They traded up to make this pick, and I thought this was a very good pick by the Jets, which is something that rarely ever happens also. Um, the last good trade combo was Christian Derrissaw, uh, Minnesota, got with the 23rd pick in the draft. This is a great pick. They traded all the. They traded back to twenty third again. This is what I thought the Raiders should have done, um, and they got two third rounders and still got who they wanted in the first place. That is exactly what you want to do on draft night, similar to what the Cowboys did, except for this time they got two third round picks. Even with moving back seven slots, still got their guy. And look, hey guys, it's good. I gave nobody a bad trade pick combo as the main category. Not even however, the trade line. How about that? However, there is one that happened a long time ago, which is why I didn't put it in this category. Um, I still think that Jalen Ramsey trade by Jacksonville was a bad trade. And frankly, when you end up with a running back in the first round as a result of it, that's not a good trade. Um, it's basically the same thing as trading him for a few second rounders because the Rams are just so good. 
Um, they end up with such a low pick that Jacksonville picks seven picks earlier than they did at, at the beginning of the first at the sec, of the second round. So that that trade didn't prove to be all too useful. But I'm going to stop ranting. I'm going to move on to the decent picks because this is getting a little long here. Uh, <laughs> Trey Lance, third pick. I, I, the reason why I say this is decent is because I thought when they traded up, they had a clear quarterback in mind. Maybe this is who they had in mind all the Maybe time. The, the but Niners. early reports poll, early early reports pointed to the quarterback being Mac Jones, and they did go to visit with him multiple times. They went to his pro day, both pro days that Alabama had. Uh, so it was a little it was a little confusing. But if Trey Lance is the guy they wanted and he's the guy they got, then I'd say it's a decent pick. I don't have anything wrong with it. Uh, J.C. Horn for Carolina, I I would call this more of a team need filler pick. Uh, You could debate that they should have gotten Patrick Sertan instead, which is why I only said this was a decent pick, not a great pick. Uh, Then you have Mac Jones. This might be one of the best. This one, this one I would call it. to New England. Yeah, I'd say this is a very obvious pick. At the 15th Um, spot. I'd say this is a very obvious pick. This is what you'd think is exactly such a Bill Belichick pick. This is exactly what comes into my mind when I hear Bill Belichick has a draft pick. Who's he going to take? I'm thinking he's not trading up. He's not trading down. Well, maybe he trades down and builds like 10 extra picks, which the Patriots have a tendency to do. But Mac Jones is exactly what they need. Somebody who's just going to make the right reads and be able to play in a system where it's built around the offensive line succeeding. And I think he'll be able to do that in New England. Uh, 16th, Zaven Collins, linebacker to Arizona. There's nothing really special about this. I mean, he was the, he, he was the, the defensive player of the year in college. So when you could get that at, at 16th, that's pretty good. Uh, Jalen Phillips, uh, defensive end for Miami, kind of same thing. Don't know too much about him if I'm going to be quite honest, but seems like a decent pick. Something that a guy that scouts liked a lot, um, and something they needed on the defensive end on the defensive line, and, yeah, as a defensive end. Uh, Jamin Davis, a linebacker, went to Washington. Again, another one where you're kind of filling your needs. Gregory Rousseau, a defensive end, went to Buffalo. That was also filling their needs. Look, Buffalo is in is one piece away, probably a really strong defensive end, i.e. J.J. Watt, which, unfortunately, they missed out on those, uh, those sweepstakes, um, away from literally being a title contender, a serious one. They went in the AFC Championship game last year. They got embarrassed by the Chiefs, but... They're not all too far off if they can maybe get a little bit of help on the defensive end. Uh, you can grow Gregory Rousseau. He has great measurables. I think he's 6'7". He should probably be playing basketball instead of football, frankly. Um, <laughs> or maybe even tight end. But this is a great pick, and I think they'll be able to grow him uh, into a really... Grow him into more of a matured prospect, and it'll start to... It, it'll He'll start to become a factor soon. Uh, Jason Owe, defensive end out of Penn State from Baltimore. Actually, the last three picks of of the first round were all defensive ends that that uh, I just am calling de- decent uh, picks. Uh, Baltimore lost Matthew Judon. They needed somebody to replace him. This is a guy who you think is going to step into that role. Uh, then you have Joe Tryon to Tampa Bay. Well, I mean, there's not much to say. The rich get richer. What, are, what is Tampa Bay going to do to improve their roster? Maybe they're just going to improve it to the future, give Joe Tryon a few reps behind Jason Pierre, Paul, Shaq Barrett. We know what that defensive line has, although it might be hard for them to re-sign Jason Pierre, Paul after next year. So that might be a pick. This might be a pick that you're growing next year, and he's going to be a starter 
uh, the year after when Jason Pierre-Paul either leaves or maybe even yeah, possibly years retires. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But I think that's mostly what this pick was about. And look, Tampa Bay does not have any team needs at all. They re-signed all 22 starters from their Super Bowl run. They need nothing. So this is a good pick. All right. Uh, well, let me give you a few questions. I know we're running out of time here. Will there be any more quarterback wide receiver reunions? We mentioned a couple of them early on in the breakdown of the draft. I'll just throw it out there. What, what about what about Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts? Maybe maybe they maybe Atlanta decides that uh, you can put another quarterback with behind Matt Ryan to grow under him rather than using a first rounder on him. And you think Kyle Trask might be talented enough for that? And then put him with his old tight end buddy from last year. And see if it can work out. Uh, that's, I think, the last one that I have. Um, I, frankly, I don't think there are any... I, I, out of the quarterbacks remaining, I don't think any of them have really great receivers coming out of the draft. I mean, some of the best receivers available are out of Louisville and Western Michigan. And they let's just say they don't have quarterbacks in this draft. <laughs> yeah, Nico Collins out of Michigan. All right, let's uh, see if you have any, any other further thoughts on the first round of the NFL draft. We can... Talk more about the draft. I'm sure we will on Monday's podcast. Uh, yeah, the second round is kind of underway, so kind of thwarted my plans a little bit here. Um, I, I just need somebody to pick Elijah Moore, please. I don't know if he's. I, I mean, we're recording, so we we aren't necessarily seeing what's happening. But if he's not one of the first five, ten picks of the second round, I'm going to go crazy. Uh, same with Aziz Ojolari. I just feel like any team that needs a pass rusher needs to take a punt on the talent and the effort that Aziz puts in his game. Uh, Christian Barmore shouldn't have fallen out of the first round. Defensive tackle out of Alabama. Javante Williams, if you're looking for a good running back, that's the guy you got to get. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa is a great, great linebacker who could have been a first-round talent that has slipped out. Uh, and then in the secondary, you have Asante Samuel Jr., a corner out of Florida State, and Trayvon Moerig, a safety out of TCU, who I also think those two guys could make immediate impacts in a team that needs secondary help. Uh, we'll see where those guys all end up going. Uh, probably some of them, as I'm speaking, have been picked or are about to be picked or as I'm uploading this will be picked. But yeah, those are that, those are my final thoughts. I just need somebody to pick those players and not let them fall into the second round. Okay, well... That, third round, yeah. excuse me. Well, that wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. As I just mentioned, our next podcast will be on Monday, May 3rd. Please join us for that podcast where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions, and maybe have a few notes about the remainder of the NFL draft. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.